Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. It's the biggest day in the race before the biggest day in the race. The lead starts right now. Breaking today, hours before the most critical day of the presidential Democratic primary so far, another candidate bows out. Two former contenders expected to both back Joe Biden tonight. Could that stop Bernie Sanders and his movement from steamrolling on Super Tuesday? Also breaking today, coronavirus cases jumping in the U.S., at least 100 infected, six now dead, as concerns grow about a possible hidden cluster of the virus. And as President Trump turns less rosy about the situation and pushes pharmaceutical companies for a vaccine, the mixed messages coming from the administration that might be adding to confusion. This is CNN Breaking News. Welcome to the Lean. I'm Jake Tapper. We begin with two breaking stories. The Dow Jones closing right now up almost 1,300 points, rebounding in a major way after last week's plunge. And in the 2020 lead today... And then there were five. Senator Amy Klobuchar, the latest Democratic candidate to drop out of the 2020 race. And according to sources, this evening, both Klobuchar and former South Bend, Indiana Mayor Pete Buttigieg will offer their endorsements for one man, former Vice President Joe Biden, at a Biden rally in Dallas, Texas. It is not just Klobuchar and Buttigieg backing Biden since his South Carolina win. It's a whole bunch of Democratic establishment figures, ranging from Harry Reid to Susan Rice, all of them coalescing behind Biden, which Sanders was asked about today. Are you concerned about the moderates consolidating behind Joe Biden? Look, it is no secret. I mean, The Washington Post has 16 articles a day on this, that there is a massive effort trying to stop Bernie Sanders. That's not a secret to anybody in this room. Uh, The corporate establishment is coming together. The political establishment is coming together. And they will do everything. They are really getting nervous that working people are standing up. The culling of the candidate herd comes ahead of the biggest test yet for the Democratic presidential candidates, with 14 states plus American Samoa all voting in the primaries tomorrow, as CNN's Ryan Nobles reports from Klobuchar's home state of Minnesota. With only a few hours until Super Tuesday, another shakeup in the Democratic primary race. Remember that what unites us is bigger than what divides us. Minnesota Senator Amy Klobuchar to end her 2020 campaign and endorse former Vice President Joe Biden tonight at a rally in Dallas, Texas. Also showing up in Dallas to throw his support behind Biden, former South Bend Mayor Pete Buttigieg, who dropped his bid Sunday night. Our goal has always been to help unify Americans to defeat Donald Trump and to win the era for our values. And so we must recognize that at this point in the race, the best way to keep faith with those goals and ideals is to step aside and help bring our party and our country together. As the moderate lane in the primary shrinks, Sanders saying he is ready for the challenge. The political establishment is coming together and they will do everything. They are really getting nervous. The Vermont senator is hoping for a strong showing tomorrow night to build an insurmountable delegate advantage. 
We are going to defeat the most dangerous president in modern American history. With 14 states and more than 1,300 delegates up for grabs, the 2020 contenders fanning out across the country today. Biden in Texas, Sanders making stops in Utah and Minnesota, Elizabeth Warren in California, and Mike Bloomberg in Virginia. The former mayor remains a wild card, having spent more than half a billion dollars of his own money on the race. If they say, why vote for Bloomberg? Two reasons. One, he can do the job. And two, he can beat Trump. And more now on Amy Klobuchar's calculation and the reason she decided to get out of the race now. Sources telling Ark Young Law that she felt that it was time for the Democratic Party to unify and unify specifically against Bernie Sanders. And while there's certainly an argument to be made that there is a long term disadvantage to that, there's a short term advantage for Sanders. He now has a real shot at winning here in Minnesota. Jake, one of the reasons he'll be here behind me tonight. All right, Ryan Nobles in the land of 10,000 lakes. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Let's chat about all this. Uh, let me start with you, Governor Granholm. And we should point out uh, you have not endorsed, but you did uh, work with Joe Biden on debate prep. Right, right. Um, do you see South Carolina and this huge raft of endorsements, obviously the Democratic establishment, really coming behind Biden uh, as boosting his chances in, on Super Tuesday? Yeah, for sure. I mean, how could it not be? And it's not just the Democratic establishment, which I know Bernie Sanders kind of says with a, you know, a tinge of class warfare it's really just Democrats who are perhaps in the moderate lane, perhaps moderately progressive, who feel like they just want to beat Trump. And they're concerned about having somebody who is self-described as a socialist not having the ability to beat him. So that's what it's all about. What are you laughing at? I, I it's love it. true. I'm, not, I'm just going to be quiet. Let the Democrats <laughs> no, no, no. But, but, Let but me ask true. you because so you, it's you, sure. help. you were you were praising uh, how Sanders was was spinning or reacting to the news. Listen, listen, I participated in a similar campaign, right, in 2016. It, it, you know how many, those were called never Trumpers, right? Mm -hmm. And you guys now have never Berniers, right? Like anybody oh. but Bernie. We'll have anyone but Bernie. It's going to be the end of our Well, party. that's not true because you'll support, if he's the nominee, you'll course, support him. Yeah, of yeah, course, okay. I would never be uh, in okay. a But you thought Bernie it was camp. effectively yeah, done. Uh, it was said. very effectively done, right? He's, you know, it seemed a little... Uh, truthful hyperbole what Bernie was doing there. There was 18 articles today in the Washington Post against me, right? I mean, I've heard somebody else talk like that. There are a couple of differences between <laughs> now and uh, 2016 on the Republican side. One is the coalescence mm -hmm. that we're seeing is pretty rapid uh, behind. Yeah, it's only uh, March 2nd. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because, because political capital has a shelf life and, and the two candidates just got out. There, it was, theirs was dated. Right. Wednesday. There's expired yeah. on Wednesday. Yes. So that's why they applied. Well, self there were some dated candidates in your race who hung around quite a while. <laughs> so I don't know. Uh, this seemed, but they the other the other are the rules of the Democratic Party. So this uh, this uh, the way delegates are awarded uh, where everybody gets some, you know, everybody gets a participation yeah. ribbon in the Democratic Party. if They get 15 <laughs> percent. That makes it harder to get to a majority. And uh, I think that's the whole game right now is how. How many delegates can Bernie Sanders amass? How close will Joe Biden be to him if the race is close? I think you will see a, a, a convention at which Biden could emerge as the nominee. If Bernie Sanders racks up a big number and comes very close to, uh, to that 1991, it's going to be very difficult to take that nomination away from him. And, Neil Malika, there's obviously two different theories of the case as to why uh, Sanders is more electable versus why Biden is more electable. Sanders will get out. This is what he says. Mm -hmm. He'll get out the young people. He'll get out working class voters. He'll get out uh, alienated people who traditionally don't vote. 
and his crowds are huge, they the biggest huge, on the Democratic yeah. side. Biden's argument is uh, they'll keep the suburbs, they'll win over disaffected Republicans. I'm not sure that any one case is stronger than the other. That's right. And who the heck knows? I mean, what the electorate would actually do come November uh, 2020. But you do see uh, the moderates obviously betting on Biden. His poll numbers are uh, stronger. If you look at the head-to-head uh, matchups between him and uh, Donald Trump, most of the polls show both Sanders uh, and Biden beating uh, Donald Trump. But, but Biden tends to do a, a little better. And there is worry that this this label, Democratic Socialist, uh, does push away people people in, in the middle, the college-educated white women, uh, for instance, that would be key to any Democrat uh, trying to win. The other thing is Sanders hasn't necessarily made good on what he said he could do with the electorate, which is to draw out huge yes. numbers of additional yes. voters in a lot of these uh, different states. So that is weakening his Can case Can I just a bit. jump yeah. on this point? Because I think this is really important. There was a 40,000-person study that was released a couple of weeks ago. It was an academic study out of Yale and Berkeley. And what those academics found was that if you nominate somebody who is closer to the fringe, to the further left or to the further right, that obviously the people in the middle don't come out that much. That means you have to make up a huge amount of young people or this burgeoning amount of turnout. And what what they predict is that young people would have to turn out to the 54 percent. It has never happened in history. 54 percent youthful turnout. Barack Obama had the highest in history and his was 48 percent. That kind of number is what people on the Democratic side look like look at when they say let's consolidate. Talk to George McGovern about relying on those young voters. Yeah. I would just say also yeah. no one no one's really talking about Bloomberg, right? He I heard in that, that that clip the two reasons that he articulated none, none of them was his excitement about his candidacy. But you know w- what happens with Bloomberg? Does he stay in? Does he get out? I think that will, will clarify well, things yeah. as well. That's a big deal tomorrow. I think that if Bloomberg is uh, uh, significantly behind Biden He's going to have to have a conversation with his team on Wednesday about what the point is in moving forward. If they're closer, we're into a murkier area and it may be harder for him to uh, to, to pull out or, or to persuade himself that it's time to go. Everyone stick around. We're going to keep up this conversation. Be sure to tune into a CNN uh, special this evening, a primetime special. All of the remaining Democratic presidential candidates sit down exclusively with CNN less than 24 hours before Super Tuesday. So far, the ones that are left, Senator Bernie Sanders, former Vice President Joe Biden, Senator Elizabeth Warren, and former Mayor Michael Bloomberg. That starts at 8 p.m. Eastern, only on CNN. Uh, as we've been discussing, Michael Bloomberg is betting big on tomorrow, Super Tuesday. Who will he help? Who might he hurt tomorrow then? Now there are six confirmed deaths in Washington state from the novel coronavirus. What the government is doing to try to contain it. Stay with us. And we're back with the 2020 lead. Tomorrow marks the first time that Michael Bloomberg has ever been on a Democratic primary ballot. That's because the three-term New York City mayor won twice as a Republican and then once as an independent before deciding to run for president as a Democrat. And as CNN's Jeff Zeleny reports for us now, Bloomberg's Republican record is a frequent point of attack for his current Democratic rivals. Michael Bloomberg is still standing as his Democratic rivals fall one by one. I felt sorry for them, but uh, I'm in it to win it. And... We are going to go out and we're going to go get him. On the eve of Super Tuesday, Bloomberg is hours away from his first test, not only of his presidential campaign, but whether Democrats accept him as one of their own. We can disagree with specific polity positions of presidents from both sides of the aisle without resorting to personal attacks. That was Bloomberg today at a pro-Israel lobbying conference in Washington, a major gathering featuring Democrats and Republicans. And Bloomberg has been both. Thank you. 
Of all the many questions facing Bloomberg's candidacy, this is a basic one. Can a one-time Democrat turned Republican, then turned independent mayor of New York, be trusted as a true Democrat? And if the Democrats want a nominee who's a Democrat, a lifelong Democrat, join us. Joe Biden was talking about Bernie Sanders, a Vermont independent, but was also lumping Bloomberg into the Democrat come lately camp. Bloomberg has explained his past. I come from Massachusetts where there are no Republicans, so I was a Democrat there for sure. I moved to New York City where there are no Republicans, so I was a Democrat there. And he's defended his Democratic credentials. I spoke for Hillary Clinton at the DNC convention in Philadelphia in 2016. That is true. I am not here as a member of any party. But he also spoke at the Republican convention in 2004 and endorsed President George W. Bush a year earlier. You may rest assured we, along with you, will make George W. Bush have a second term. Following his third term as mayor, Bloomberg has invested heavily on Democratic-friendly issues like gun legislation, climate change, and in 2018, helping the party win control of the House. But that has not erased the suspicion from some rivals about whether Bloomberg is a Democrat inspired by conviction or opportunity. The core of the, Repu- of the Democratic Party will never trust him. Bloomberg brushes aside that criticism, saying he's put his money behind his beliefs. I give away all my company profits, which is $800 million, and to causes that you would think all Democrats, basically all liberal Democratic policies... So Democratic voters will have the final say on this starting tomorrow and Super Tuesday, where Mayor Bloomberg will be in Florida campaigning at three stops. Of course, he's looking ahead down the calendar, the Florida primary in two weeks from tomorrow. Jake, it's an open question if he'll still be in the race by then. His aides concede they will reanalyze all of this the day after Super Tuesday. Jake. All right, Jeff Zeleny, thanks so much. Uh, let's chew over all this. And Nia Malika, here's what Bloomberg said on 60 Minutes about the possibility of dropping out of the race if he does not do well tomorrow, Super Tuesday. If you don't finish in the top three on Super Tuesday, is that it for you? No, of course not. You'll keep going? Yeah, sure. There's an election seven or so days later. There's another one 14 days later. Uh, There's a number of elections after that. It's true that there are three Super Tuesdays in a row Mm -hmm. starting tomorrow. But if he doesn't finish in the top three, what is the actual reason to stay in the race? Yeah, there's, you know, he's been banking it $400 million all on Super Tuesday. And it was also, uh, he was banking on the idea that Joe Biden would be weak, right? That is why he got into this race. And Joe Biden had a very, very strong showing out of uh, South Carolina. You see uh, moderates coalescing around him. The idea that he's going to come out of Super Tuesday... We'll see how many delegates he gets. Where is he able to get that 15 percent in any of these 14 states? I think there's 16 contests altogether. But, you know, sort of the rationale for 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 moving forward uh, doesn't seem like it would be there. And his ultimate rationale is to beat Donald Trump. Right. right. Does he Allegedly. think he can beat Donald Trump or does he see someone else in the field like a Joe Biden uh, that might be more likely to beat uh, beat Donald Trump? And is he ultimately standing in the way uh, by staying in this race? And all of the data I've seen and, and acts you can speak to this, it seems like the the Bloomberg support is coming right from Biden, yeah. the sort of, you know, white yeah. voters. Uh, uh, and so, you know, staying in only hurts Biden. No, I think you put your finger right on it. They had a strategy, and that strategy was that Biden, who was looking very weak at the time they got in the race, would not make it through these four primaries, that the South Carolina firewall would not hold, and that Bloomberg could pick up the pieces in, on Super Tuesday and become the 
challenger to Bernie Sanders in this race. Obviously, that didn't work because Joe Biden came, came roaring out of South Carolina. He's going to get some kind of bounce out of this. It could be a big bounce. And just as those votes that, that Bloomberg is getting come from Biden, the votes that Biden is getting is, are going to come from Bloomberg. And Bloomberg could find himself doing much less well on Super Tuesday than his plans had called for. You know what would make him enormously popular among Democrats? Like he would be a total hero is if he gets out after Super Tuesday and continues to spend because he makes $107 million a day just by breathing. He's got so much money, Democrats would treat him Spending as money on anti-Trump ads. Is yes, of course. And President course. Trump is afraid of that. I mean, I had a good fortune. To talk. I talked to the president today about the candidates in the race, right? President's, president's ready for all comers, right? Obviously, $50 billion is, is something you to be concerned about if you're any political operative, right? Sure. It's all about you a lot of TV, can't buy you love, can't buy you charisma, things we talked about. Look, I, I think what's important tonight is not only the delta between um, uh, Bernie and Biden and, and delegates, but also the Biden-Bloomberg uh, delta. If it's not that big, there, there isn't a case for, for Bloomberg to get out. I think Bloomberg thinks, well, if there's going to be a broker convention, why not me? I'm, I've got enough money. I'll keep forcing my way to the convention gathering up delegates, getting close to Biden, and I'll make the argument I should be the candidate, not Biden. That's, and, my, that's my take on it. And we should point out uh, that there was this uh, event in Selma, Alabama, uh, commemoration of Bloody Sunday, uh, and, uh, and Bloomberg spoke there, and a number of African Americans turned their backs on him oh. as he spoke uh, at this church. Uh, take a listen to what Bloomberg said about his record in New York. Yeah. When I left, I think it's fair to say most people women, minorities, they would say it was the best 12 years the city has had in modern memory. Now, stop and frisk remains a huge and potent uh, issue, but it is true also. I saw uh, one poll that had him with a 60 percent approval rating with uh, African-Americans in New York City. In New York City, right. Uh, and, and listen, he has done himself a lot of good with these ads featuring a lot of African-Americans, uh, criminal justice acti- activists in some of these ads, uh, small business owners uh, as well. But he also ran into Elizabeth Warren uh, in these debates and didn't do so well in terms of his record on Stop and Frisk. He essentially lied about his record on Stop and Frisk, said he uh, moved to stop it. He was essentially forced to stop it. Uh, and then he has defended it until very recently, essentially before he got into this race, he was still uh, defending it. And then his record on women, lots of uh, suits, lawsuits against him. So listen, we'll see. I think uh, he came in as somebody who was very interesting to African-Americans, seemed to be a different person presenting on these ads. And then I think uh, the information has come out. I'll tell you something, as someone who made ads for a living for many, many years, uh, there is a limit to them. They can Mm -hmm. create, they can create interest and maybe even support but that support is fragile, and people are going to resolve their questions based on what they see with their own yes, two eyes. Yes, when Michael yes. Bloomberg stepped out on that stage in that debate and had such a horrific first debate and took the kind of beating that he took, particularly from Senator Warren, a lot of the effect of those ads uh, was reduced because yeah. people saw him in real life. He has a formidable record in many different realms. But he's not a very good performer. And some of those issues are bad issues in the Democratic Party. To your point, David, uh, you're right that that's what Bloomberg will think. But he'd be a hard guy to sell to a Democratic convention. Everyone stick around. We've got more to talk about. The coronavirus outbreak is spreading inside the United States. We're going to talk to one doctor on the front lines of the fight right now about what is being done to contain the virus. Stay with us. Some breaking news in our health lead. Six people have now died from the coronavirus in the United States, all of them in Washington state. 
And as CNN's Stephanie Elam reports for us now, health officials fully expect to see more cases, but they are also trying to bring some perspective by emphasizing that the risk of death for most members of the American public remains very low. The number of coronavirus cases in the U.S. surging to now at least 100 people. It's always dangerous to make predictions, definitive predictions, but I'm concerned that you're going to see a lot more cases. The first case in New York, a 39-year-old woman who traveled to Iran. She wasn't symptomatic when she was on the plane, uh, and she didn't take public transportation. Two confirmed cases in Florida. In Rhode Island, a man and a teenage girl both diagnosed with the virus. They had recently traveled to Europe together. In Oregon, two cases. And in Washington state, which appears to have the highest person-to-person transmission rate in the country right now, six people have now died. Some had underlying health conditions, including a resident at the Life Care Nursing Facility in Kirkland. Right now, there's a large investigation going on, the nursing home, the hospital contact tracing to try to determine where that disease was introduced and how it might have spread. It's really hard for me is her feeling alone. Kim Fry's mother has been at Life Care Center for a few weeks now. Fry made this sign with messages for her 89-year-old mom. Just, we love you, we can't come in, but Jesus can, so you're not alone. Figure out what room she's in and hold my sign up at the window and just, you know, say hi. Public health officials warning the number of coronavirus victims will likely continue to increase this week because testing across the country is ramping up. But as those numbers rise, they still don't compare to the flu. According to the Centers for Disease Control, between 12,000 and 61,000 people in the U.S. have died from the flu every year since 2010. And King County health officials confirming to CNN just now that of those six deaths here in Washington state, four of them are related to this building right here, this uh, nursing home facility where we have seen other people who are also ill from it. So this obviously is what they're watching. The other thing that they're doing is they're in the process of buying an old motel that they are going to change and have it as a place where people can recover who do get sick with coronavirus, Jake. All right, Stephanie Elam, thank you so much. Joining me now to discuss is Dr. Amy Compton-Phillips. She's the chief clinical officer from Providence St. Joseph Health in Washington State. There she oversees 51 hospitals across mostly West Coast states, including the hospital where the first coronavirus patient in the U.S. was treated. Doctor, thanks so much uh, for joining us. Your hospitals are directly dealing with the coronavirus. It sounds as though you're, you're almost setting up an emergency operation center. How are you preparing? Well, we're preparing in a wide variety of ways. We're making sure that we have um, everything from triage to testing to treatment protocols so that we can identify people early um, and ideally outside the context of a healthcare environment that are at risk for coronavirus, getting them tested appropriately, and then getting them treatment ideally at home if at all possible, um, and only saving our acute care hospital beds for people who are sick enough to really need to be in, in that kind of environment. Alex Azar, the secretary of the Department of Health and Human Services, uh, said that 75,000 new test kits will soon be available. There are a lot of health experts that say that's not nearly enough, 75,000 testing kits. Uh, Let me just ask you, how many kits would you like for your 51 hospitals and health centers? All of them. <laughs> we, we really want to be able to test pretty much everybody who has the symptoms um, so that we can understand where the reservoirs or infection are. It's, it's unclear right now how the people in the nursing home got the infection. We need to sort that out, and we can only do that if we start testing widely and broadly across the 
entire community. So you, you could take all 75,000 right now for your 51 <laughs> hospitals? Pretty easily. It would be, it would be, uh, they would be used well. Uh, as someone working on the front lines uh, with patients yeah. who have contracted coronavirus, are, are you getting enough information from top health officials in the U.S., such as the Centers for Disease Control? We're staying directly and very closely in contact with the CDC, as well as the state departments of health and the local departments of health, because we have to to be able to coordinate on a crisis this large. Um, so I, I have to say that uh, those those public workers must not have slept in the past month. <laughs> they are they are putting themselves out there regularly, reliably um, to enable clear communication. The, the Surgeon General is telling people uh, not only to not buy the, the masks that people are getting, uh, but he's warning that one could actually raise their risk of coronavirus if they buy a mask, wear it in the wrong way, touch their face inappropriately or, or repeatedly. Do you share those concerns? I do worry about those. Um, people, they put the mask on and then they feel like they have their coat of armor on, and that's not the case. The mask, if you sneeze, if you cough, it'll keep respiratory droplets to yourself. So if you're sick, wearing a mask can keep you from infecting other people. If you're not sick, having a mask is annoying. You know, you've got something on your face and you need to itch your nose. And, and so it's a way for people to continuously touch their face, which is a great way if you get the virus on your hand from touching a doorknob to get it then close to a mucous membrane where it can infect you. What's your message to the public at large? Message to the public at large is to keep yourself safe. All those things you know you should be doing to protect yourself from the flu would protect you from coronavirus. Wash your hands frequently. Use alcohol gel if you've touched anything. Avoid touching your face. Um, cover your cough. If you're sick, stay home. Don't go to work. Don't try to tough your way through it. I really think that the regular things we do to keep ourselves healthy, particularly during cold and flu season, are going to keep you safe in this COVID environment. All right, Dr. Amy Compton-Phillips, thank you so much for your expertise. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. President Trump says a cure for coronavirus is on the horizon, even though many health professionals cannot properly test for it yet. What the experts are saying next. And biotechnology companies, the biggest in the world, uh, most prestigious, the ones that get down. In our politics lead, President Trump just wrapped up his meeting with pharmaceutical executives on the response to the coronavirus and need for a vaccine today, urging Americans not to panic, even saying with no further context, a vaccine and even a cure may be coming, quote, very quickly. Uh, in actuality, top health care officials say a vaccine is at least a year away from becoming a reality. And the Trump administration is frankly, still struggling to manufacture sufficient testing kits to meet the challenge right now. As CNN's Caitlin Collins reports, this is all part of the White House's inconsistent messaging on the outbreak. As the number of coronavirus cases in the U.S. skyrockets, President Trump is defending his response while members of his task force warn of what's to come. We're going to see a lot more community-related cases, and that's of great concern. After initially downplaying the outbreak for days, today Trump said he'll urge drug company executives to speed up their efforts to develop a vaccine. Well, we've asked them to accelerate whatever they're doing in terms of a vaccine. Dr. Anthony Fauci, who briefs the president daily, has publicly cautioned that any vaccine won't happen quickly. We can't rely on a vaccine over the next several months to a year. After his meeting with pharmaceutical executives, Trump is hosting a political rally in North Carolina tonight as he accuses Democrats of fanning fears about the virus. Is it 
safe or appropriate to be holding rallies during a public health crisis like this? Well, these were set up a long time ago, and others are. I mean, you could ask that to the Democrats because they're having a lot of rallies. Trump says Democrats are exaggerating the danger of the coronavirus for political gain. But some Democrats are returning the charge, saying it's the president who is politicizing the health crisis by comparing it to the investigations he's faced. The idea that Donald Trump said just several days ago this was a Democratic hoax, what in God's name is he talking about? Biden was referring to this comment Trump made during his rally in South Carolina Friday night. Now the Democrats are politicizing the coronavirus. And this is their new hoax. With an eye on the economy, Trump tweeted that the Federal Reserve chairman should cut interest rates because of the economic risk posed by coronavirus, though some experts have said lowering borrowing costs will only go so far. Well, the president has always made clear how he feels about the Fed chairman, so um, I think his tweet speaks for itself. Now, Jake, during that meeting with drug company executives today, the president also said they are weighing new travel restrictions, but he didn't say which countries, only saying the ones that are having worse outbreaks than others, though there are still questions on whether or not the administration is going to move in the next few days to limit domestic travel as well. Really, all options are on the table right now for them. All right, Caitlin Collins at the White House. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Uh, let's chew over all this. And, David, we should point out that in addition to being a Trump campaign advisor, you're a lobbyist, including for some medical interests, Walgreens Pharmacy and, and, and others. Uh, I want to uh, have you listen to President Trump earlier today. We're talking about a vaccine, maybe a cure. It's possible. So we'll see about that. But we're talking about a vaccine and they're moving along very quickly. Here's Dr. Anthony Fauci. He's head of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases. In order to get a vaccine that's practically deployable for people to use, it's going to be at least a year to a year and a half at best. And just minutes ago, it happened again. President Trump saying they'd have a vaccine in a few months. Fauci again clarifying it will be at least a year, if not a year and a half. This is confusing for people. And this isn't about politics. It's about health. It's about health. Look, I I urge transparency. I wish the president might uh, tighten up his messaging there and go a little bit more along the lines of Dr. Fauci. Um, he's obviously it's aspirational to get this stuff done as quickly as possible to uh, to take, you know, ease people's fears in in, uh, in getting a vaccine developed that quickly in the normal course of, uh, of a pharmaceutical kind of uh, drug. It is it is it takes a while. Yeah. It, it does take a while, but that's much more quickly a year to a year to year and a half is much quicker than normally things come to come to process. And uh, so I think the president's being hopeful here and, and, and trying to give some optimism to the people. The market obviously responded today. Markets back up. So. I don't know uh, if they responded to him, though. No, no, I, I'm not saying they're responding to the president. Yeah. I'm saying the market's realizing, taking a look at the, what's going on and saying they're and building it in. But what he's doing, though, is, uh, is, is exhibit A and what you don't do as a leader in a crisis. Did you ever have to deal with a crisis All in the your time. two terms I mean, as look, governor? I, I was governor during the auto industry meltdown. Right, right. And during a whole series of other kinds of crises, like the, you know, when the power went out, et cetera, uh, riots in Benton Harbor, et cetera. What you do in a crisis is that you bring in the experts to speak. You do not exaggerate. I mean, the problem with this president is he has, he has a, an inherent flaw, which is that he exaggerates you know, or lies eight times a day. How can you as the public believe what the president is saying? He also thinks he's the smartest guy about anything, and he doesn't do his homework. He doesn't yeah. even know this stuff. So he, is, uh, he should be turning this over to somebody with knowledge, and it wouldn't be Mike Pence. Uh, and there's a whole well, other well, theory. Well, about that. I just want to ask you because because David, you you encountered something like this. Everyone compares this to to uh, this, um, the Ebola epidemic uh, under Obama, but really, it's more similar 
to the swine flu epidemic you had early on in the Obama years, right. and 12,000 or so Americans died from that. Right. How did you uh, and the administration and President Obama deal with that? Well, uh, first of all, we, we did what Jennifer suggests, which is that uh, really let the experts speak to it, organize an all-government uh, uh, an all-government uh, campaign to deal with the problem. And there were, you know, daily briefings on this, treated as a national security issue, uh, try, tried to be as transparent as possible, uh, didn't want to create alarm, but also wanted to give people the information that they, they needed. You've got to low-key this. I think that, you know, the fact is that that hyperbole that Trump engages in has served him well in a lot of other instances, it's not good in a national health crisis, public health crisis like this. And uh, it's not political to say that. I mean, there is not a Republican or Democrat way, Democratic way to deal with this. There is mm -hmm. just a protocol and it doesn't include hyperbole and uh, and false or, or, claims. And, and, and Malika, the, the Philip Bump of The Washington Post argues Trump's playbook of just uh, say, saying everything's fine, everything's right. going to be great, uh, has worked for him and his base on other things when it comes to the Mueller report, when it comes to impeachment, maybe even the economy, but might not work for the coronavirus uh, problem. Quote, his political gamble has always been to focus solely on delivering for his base and disparaging critics for not unifying with his vision for America. That may hold true with coronavirus, too. If cases in fear keep spreading, though, it may be a significant miscalculation. And the fact is that experts think we're going to see more dead. We're going to see the virus spread. Unfortunately, nobody yeah, wants that, that. Yeah, that's what happens. Uh, and that's certainly uh, in the forecast. So his sort of happy talk about this, at some point his happy talk will meet with a reality. Uh, and the reality is people's lives could be disrupted by this, right? Uh, hospitals are preparing for it. Uh, schools as well, local and, and state officials. So I think this is only going to take him so far. And it certainly doesn't uh, make him seem more credible if he is defying or going against what the experts say. If I was the president, I would, just, I would just urge calm. Right. Calm and, and just being urge calm and, and listen to Dr. Fauci. Listen to Dr. Fauci. All right. Everyone stick around. President Trump insisting, quote, we are leaving Afghanistan. His top general is trying to manage some expectations there. Why the cracks may already be starting to show in the Taliban peace deal. That's next. Stay with us. Our world lead now, new violence in Afghanistan just days after that landmark truce between the U.S. government and the Taliban as a blast in Coast Province in Afghanistan today killed three people. The president this morning nonetheless reiterated he wants American troops home. We're getting out. We want to get out. We've done a great job in terms of getting rid of terrorists. Now it's up to other countries to get rid of those terrorists. CNN's Barbara stars at the Pentagon for us. And Barbara, I guess the big question, is the Taliban responsible for this new violence? Well, this is always going to be the question throughout this process. And right now, what you're referring to, the latest attack, we simply do not know. And today here at the Pentagon, a very heavy dose of reality from the Pentagon leadership. The Taliban is not a monolithic group. There's multiple terrorist organizations operating. I would caution everybody to, to uh, think that there's going to be an absolute cessation of violence in Afghanistan. That is probably not going to happen. It's probably not going to go to zero. And that's really the, the underpinning problem here, because the agreement also calls for all U.S. troops to be out of Afghanistan. And today, the defense secretary said they would go down to from 12 to 13,000 currently there to about 8,600 troops and then stop and take a look at that violent at that situation. Where is the level of violence? Who's responsible for it? And make a decision whether they really can move ahead and bring all U.S. troops home. 
as the president wants. Jake? To say nothing of the sticking points having to do with freeing 5,000 Taliban prisoners and and more. Uh, Let me ask you, Barbara, uh, President Trump said this weekend that he plans to meet uh, with leadership of the Taliban, quote, in the not too distant future. Right. And boy, isn't that a remarkable thing? Of course, we were close to that last year, but that meeting got canceled. Uh, Mike Pompeo, the secretary of state, obviously meeting over the weekend with Taliban leaders. And here at the Pentagon, they say they're not really sure what's going to happen, who they're going to meet with, what the arrangements will be. But any president of the United States meeting with the Taliban 18 years after 9-11, plus 18 years is really quite a remarkable thing, Jake. If we get to it, Barbara Starr at the Pentagon, thank you so much. Appreciate it tonight. Tune in to CNN for exclusive one-on-one interviews with four Democratic presidential candidates right ahead of Super Tuesday, which is tomorrow. Those interviews start tonight, 8 p.m. Eastern, only on CNN. Any moment, Vice President Mike Pence is going to hold a briefing at the White House with the latest details on the coronavirus. Stay with us. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. 